1: Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
3: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here tonight to talk about the defense on the regular show, and we have one of our favorites back on after a long time. Michael Crawford, how are you doing, buddy? Okay,
0: oh, and I'm doing well. No complaints at all. It's good to be back. has been a while, um, but it's always fun coming on and talking football, talking Ravens with you. always look forward to the conversation, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to be back.
3: Oh, me, me too. Uh, you're uh, at Abukari on Twitter. Any other places to Deep Cover Pod you want to talk about up front?
0: Yeah, a couple of different places. Uh, Deep Cover Pod, Deep Cover Podcast on YouTube. Obviously, you can find it on any of your uh, podcast platforms or if you listen to audio pods, we have a video show. Uh, the Fire fire Zone show I do with Denard Melton, at Denard Melton on Twitter. That's also on YouTube. Same thing with the podcast platforms. And tied in a little bit with two guys watching football with Cole Jackson. I've only been on there maybe once. I won't say I'm on there a whole lot, but I kind of help with some behind-the-scenes stuff from time to time. So a couple different places this season. It's been fun. Uh, it's been a lot of work. Uh, you and I have talked about this kind of stuff before. You've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and even just this little bit in uptick of, uh, podcasting work for me. We're not, we're not nearly as, uh, um, prolific as you are, but just this little bit of an uptick has been an eye opener with how much effort it goes into it. So it's been fun, but it's also, uh, been kind of a labor of love in some ways.
3: Yeah. Really, really enjoy the on air time completely. And I bet this is similar to your experience. Uh, the prep time is, is a lot. And especially in a season with some, you know, negative things going on, particularly the injuries this year, 2015 is the last year that really reminded me of this in terms of how difficult it's been to get through a season. And this hasn't been anything like 2015 in terms of it being a down year for the Ravens. It's been, you know, the Ravens have had some great games, some tremendous good fortune to be where they are right now. Uh, and yet it does not appear like there's any realistic hope for the uh, a postseason and uh, a lengthy postseason at least. It's been very emotional.
0: Uh, <laughs> there's been highs and lows and uh, so many games that have come down to the end and so many, you know, sort of improbable finishes at times. And it's it's been fun in that way, but it's also been pretty gut-wrenching uh, just in terms of, you know, the your nerves and uh, sitting through and going through these games. So I've enjoyed it. I was telling somebody the other day, uh, when you... Even, you know, sort of dip your toe in the analysis water a little bit. Like, I just still chart run plays and, and do that kind of thing. Sometimes it can kind of remove the emotion mm-hmm. uh, of the games um, for you. And, it, you know, my wife gives me a hard time about that all the time. She says, You're not a real fan, cause you don't get excited. Where you don't get upset no matter what happens, you're just trying to figure out why it happened, like what happened and mm-hmm. why it happened. But this season has kind of brought back a little of the emotion for me. It's been so you know you know those highs I talked about the highs and the lows. It's been it's it's been fun to have a little bit of that back.
3: Yeah, I, I've, I've I kind of separate out myself. I think this is worthwhile. I hope people appreciate this discussion. of spending a few minutes on this, but my at the game experience is very different from when I sit down and start watching the film from the broadcast again for the second time, then the all 22 it's, it's a, you know, I'm very into the game. I, 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 am noticing, Hey, the dime defense is on the field. we got a good chance here to get off on third down, you know, but, but if, if, uh, if I'm at a home, uh, it's the second time through always pretty much that I'm watching it. i I become more and more detached. I watch this offensive line scoring, which should have just pissed the hell off, pissed me the hell off today. Uh, uh, you know, I'm frustrated certainly by how poorly both tackles are playing right now. But on the other hand, you know, it's it's more clinical at this time. I'm just recording how it happened and you know what happened. And uh, boy, it's it's not fun to watch over and over again. Though that's a good distinction
0: to make. Um, you know, I know you you attend games regularly. Home and away, uh, I've I had opportunity to go to a couple this season, and yeah, it's a very different experience there, mm-hmm. in person. And you know, you you use the word that I think even more appropriate than emotional detached. Mm-hmm. That's a great word for it. I, I do feel detached, or i I had been feeling detached for these past couple of seasons, and you know, I've I felt a little more attached this year, which I think is a good thing. I know some people I've talked to this year have been kind of struggling with maybe over attachment, (laughs) but for me, it's been, it's been a, a good thing.
3: It's, it's the attachment actually kind of reduces listens and a losing season that goes on or in a season like this, it's been very wearing on fans. I think people want to get to the next week, but not really think about Ravens football in between, particularly on a, you know, two game losing streak like this. So unfortunately that probably costs us some listeners and Hey, we appreciate you for joining us tonight to talk about the defense and we'll get right to it after five minutes of men talking about their feelings. So, <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. Uh, it's, I it can't be worse than a commercial. It can't be, but, uh, but anyway, we appreciate you having, having you here. Uh certainly a tough loss, uh, much worse in terms of what it means for the season going forward with the loss of Jackson Crawford. We don't know how long. Uh, Jackson Campbell, not Crawford. Crawford's yeah. right here. Yeah, I'm still uh, Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the word came out today from John Harbaugh saying I'm going under the assumption he's playing on Sunday. If if he if he can go, he'll play. Do you? Yeah. Out hope? Uh
0: I, I hold out some hope. Uh, I think we've all probably learned to be a little leery of John and his uh, commentary on injuries <laughs> over the years. So I hold out hope, but, uh, I, and and maybe a little bit more um, than average hope, uh, just because I, I heard initially reported as a low ankle sprain, a uh, low mm-hmm. ankle sprain and not a high ankle sprain. So I think that the, that does, you know, give you a little more reason for optimism. Obviously those high ankle uh, sprains are more severe and, and can really linger. Um, but what I do worry about is for really any skilled player, but particularly a guy like Lamar, whose game is uh, so based on quickness and his ability to cut, right, and Mm -hmm. evade and elude. And, uh, you know, I'm just sort of wondering, you know, what an ankle injury, even a low ankle sprain, how it might, you know,
3: impact that part of
0: his game. So, you know, we'll see.
3: Yeah, I think it's it's a risk, and we saw him deal with a groin injury, we think, in 2020 mm-hmm. that really forced the Ravens to change their scheme into a sidecar system from a pistol system where he'd been very effective as the outside speed threat in pistol and had to be used as the up-the-middle threat because he didn't want to be putting as much strain on that groin, we think, and we talked about this before, moving we, side to side. We did. So, yeah, you when, whenever he has
0: um, – these kinds of, I, I guess, if you want to bucket them, sort of lower body, lower lower extremity injuries um, that affect his mobility, um, it does change the offense. Mm-hmm. You just you just talked about one one possible example. And so, you know, we'll we'll see what happens if he's able to practice and get back and play um, this week. But, yeah, it's not it's 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 not ideal. And that was the one I think everybody's maybe kind of been thinking about that in the back of their mind with all the injuries they've had this year. That was the one you're kind that of like, had not you. happened. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of holding, crossing your fingers like, all right, as long as it's not Lamar, as bad as it is, you know, we've still got a chance every week. And then when that one happened, I'm like, well, maybe
3: this is finally the straw that breaks the cables back. Right. I think that's a that's a reasonable fear. And, uh, you know, it's not like Huntley didn't give them a chance to win this particular game next week. They're going to play the the, um, the Packers. It's a game where of their remaining four, they're probably one, the least likely to win. Or or close to it, anyway. Uh, They they could be at least likely, less likely to win all four of these games. It might be an underdog in all of them potentially. Um, But also that they are um, less important to them. And I would think strategically, it's possible that they will sit Lamar for that Packers game, knowing full well that the two games they need to win to win the division are Cincinnati and then one of the other two. It's really. I I don't think since I don't think they can win the tiebreaker against Cincinnati. I think they basically need to win either Cincinnati and L.A. or Cincinnati and and, uh, Pittsburgh at the at the last game of the year. So they can go two and four in the division. They can win the division if they if they uh, get the appropriate number of losses from the other teams.
0: Yeah, I've heard some some comparisons to how uh, Cliff Kingsbury handled Kyler Murray when he was Mm -hmm. injured and out for a couple of weeks. Right. Where there were reports that, you know, Maybe after a week or two, he was well enough and moving around enough to come back and play, but wasn't 100%. And I think, you know, to Kingsbury, to some effect, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but, you know, paraphrasing sort of said, look, this, this guy is like a high performance race car. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to pull him out of the garage and go 90 miles an hour. I want to go 130 miles an hour <laughs> so you, uh, you know maybe maybe you get a little bit of that with Lamar like you you know you're, you're sort of implying about this Packer's game maybe, eh, maybe we hold back a little bit and saving for for those division games or you know the next game after the Packers game and then the rest of the, the run.
3: Yeah, the Cincinnati game—the whole season pivots on that. I, I think if they if they at this point don't win that game, the the division is almost certainly out because they'll they'll have lost a tiebreaker to Cincinnati. Anyway, reduces their chance greatly. I guess they could win the other three, and that would do it too. But that seems highly unlikely. So, yeah. let's jump into the defense here. Though, talk a little bit about the secondary because I think the the unit performed quite well given the circumstances, really difficult circumstances. And it wasn't a perfect game or anything. They got flagged a lot. Um, we can talk about that a little bit in terms of the legitimacy of some, uh, the legitimacy of, some of that. Some of it was justified, though. Uh, Anthony Averett had to step in that number one cornerback role. He did get beat a couple of times, once for the pass interference call that I don't think was really questioned by the right sideline. Another time for uh, a longer play down those right numbers to DPJ. Donovan Peoples-Jones, for 26 plus eight, a 34-yard pass. Yeah. Otherwise, I thought
0: that the secondary, such as it was, acquitted Mm -hmm. themselves pretty well. I mean, when you look at it on the whole, you talked about Anthony Averett basically having to step into the number one corner role. Mm -hmm. You've got Chris Westry, um, who's, you know, what, his second game back?
3: Uh, Let's see. Third game? Yeah, you're, you're right. Since the original entry, because I think he actually sat out another game. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he had to so, torn meniscus early in the year after the Raiders game. Yeah. Let me let me go back to Averitt for a second, because okay. one point I wanted to make about him is that he had three drive-ending plays in this game. Sure, he gave up two big plays, but he ended three drives. He had the interception, which Looked to me like he got turned the wrong way twice on the play, literally <laughs> twice on the play. Then he ended up on the inside and the football was there. And fortunately, made the play right on the football just the way he should. It, it, was, it was like he was the receiver, only he had accidentally stumbled into that position and uh, and made the play. <laughs> yeah, I had that in my notes, too. When you just look at the route, you know, they
0: showed yeah. the, the replay, just the isolation shot on on Hillman Landry. You know, Landry kind of sets him up with a really nice sort of out-in, back-out move, uh, gets in Averitt's blind spot. And as Landry breaks back out, he's open, right? He's separating. Mm-hmm. But I think there was some pressure in the backfield um, on on Baker, and he had to kind of step up and probably got the ball out a little sooner than he wanted to, and obviously probably not where he wanted to. And like you said, it, it basically was a gift. Uh, but you still got to catch those. We we, we probably mm-hmm. talk about some other plays where you, you you get those opportunities, but you're not able to to haul them in. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, the very very next drive, two plays later, uh, he two defensive plays later, he he tipped the ball and it went directly to Brandon Stevens, and Brandon Stevens had a great opportunity to catch the ball, and it went off his chest off his helmet up in the air whatever it was <laughs> and yep. then he had another chance to catch the football <laughs> and he did not but a great play by Averett shouldn't be lost there because Averett really made a great play on that football was in position to make that play uh and and created a big turnover opportunity that should have given the Ravens points and i believe if i recall correctly they got that interception then they moved the ball a little bit fumbled it for the touchdown to Garrett maybe mm-hmm. after the after the after the punt no That's right. yes no after no Mm, I am missing something here. I'll have to bring this up in the game book, but I don't want to hold the show up while we do this. But anyway, they, they, they did get an opportunity finally to, to score uh, and, and kick the field goal at the end of the half. But uh, too bad on Stevens for missing that opportunity because it's a free safeties interception. He was in position for the overthrow. He was in position for the tip. The tip came. It came again. <laughs> and and he, uh, he could not secure it. Tips and overthrows.
0: That's that's, you know, kind of how you make your money on in terms of interceptions back there as a safety. And it really was a nice um concept overall on defense too. Um that, you know, kind of created that opportunity. Because if it's the play that I'm remembering, um, the Ravens, as they want to do, you know, have a bunch of guys up at the line of scrimmage. Obviously that's not anything the Browns haven't seen before, but it presented itself in such a way that it looked like the running back was going to be able to free release to the left sideline that he was going to be open with nobody to run with just by the way. The Ravens were aligned. Didn't look like anybody was going to be out there, but Justin Houston peeled off with the running back Mm -hmm. at the snap. And then Bowser is covering the tight end Hooper, who was also aligned to that side, kind of shading him outside. And Chuck Clark, who was up at the line drops back underneath Hooper. So now they've got Hooper bracketed inside and outside. And then on the right side, they had that little bubble screen set up to Landry, um, and then that's where, you know, Donald Peoples-Jones sort of broke vertical after the bubble screen was no longer there. Tavon kind of drove on it. Uh, and then Averett was able to undercut, you know, that vertical, you know, route. I don't want to call it a route, but I think Peoples-Jones just kind of saw what was happening and was like, ah, I better better get up the field. Make space. Yeah. And Averett, you know, undercuts that route, tips it up. So just the way that it was constructed, it was like, wow, it was really set up nicely to um, force a quick decision or, and or mistake. And they nearly had it. But um, you know, it's that's how it goes Sometimes
3: I like the 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 fact that Stevens was bracketed on the back end may have been more of something he did for safety than what he that he did it seeing that Averett had good underneath coverage. Uh, we may never know that, but, but it looked like maybe more of the, of the former. And, and I, I, I don't really care how it happened as much as to know that he could repeat it in some way because maintaining that space of tremendous value for a free safety. And we see it from Geno Stone's. We did not, with Geno Stone, who's a terrific play for the overthrow, play for the tip safety. Whereas it's really the opposite with Elliot. Elliot has to get lucky to get an interception because he's going for the man and the ball and he wants to hit him like a freight train. Uh, yep. When he's in there, he's not, he's not trying to play for that overthrow. And and I like seeing it in, in Stevens on one play. If he's the free safety of the future, he has to continue doing that. And he has to also catch the football. That's a secondary thing, but he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's got to make that work. Yeah. Get on the jugs machine this week. Yeah. There you go. Practice in there. Good good tackling this week for Stevens. It hasn't always been true all year. I thought the the secondary did a reasonably good job of tackling in this game. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Westry. You brought him up before. Um, Play was much better, I think, than most people would observe from this game or would take from this game with the two flags. So I think it's widely been discussed that the first flag was complete BS. Right. Uh, that Landry basically had his arm wrapped around him, twisted his body as he was coming in. It should have been a PD or an interception for Westry. One or the other, uh, as that ball was coming in, Westry looked like he had the ball tracked. Um, not necessarily, but it looked like he had the ball tracked. And uh, and it certainly wasn't going to be a, a reception by Landry because Landry had already given up on it by the fact that he had still had his arm clutched around his waist.
0: Yeah, looked like they were on the dance floor and Landry was going to dip it. <laughs> Uh, the way he had his arm around yeah, his waist. But I thought, you know, that Westry did sort of what you instruct corners to do in that mm-hmm. situation. You know, get back in phase, maintain, you know, try to get in contact with the guy, get your head around, locate the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he did all of that. But, um, you know, obviously the officials saw it differently. Uh, and the other one, you know, it was a double move by Donovan Peoples-Jones. And I think he did tug on him a little bit coming out of the first yep. one. So I didn't, I didn't have an issue with that one as much, but the first one, yeah, I just, I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all.
3: That, that, let's talk about both those plays. Cause I really kind of want to hit on both. And I know this, we're, we're going to run over on time probably here, but uh, the, the first one, you mentioned him getting back in phase, getting back onto the body. Westry in particular is an incredibly dangerous cornerback when he's on a guy's body because his length is so exceptional. I mean, you know, he's six, four, he's got long arms. Uh, Sean Wade is probably the only guy I'm aware of. Who's got longer arms at cornerback in the entire league. And he's able to, to, you know, go after a football and, uh, and, and, you know, tip it basically anywhere within a much wider receiver than the, the wider range than the typical receiver can. So uh, it's something I really like to do. On the, on the on the other route where he did tug on him, I thought it was great that he stayed right with him and he looked like you know uh, Ike Taylor, Jimmy Smith, jamming him right out of bounds. I couldn't believe watching that play again. That 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 was a you know toe tap was possible by DPJ. It was right. That was Melanis yeah. DPJ. Yeah.
0: That was an incredible catch. <laughs> was, I, I you know, initially I didn't I didn't realize that he actually caught it and 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 had you know feet down in bounds. I'm like, oh, they're they're mm-hmm. gonna flag Westry and, and enforce the penalty. But no, he actually made the catch. So it was an amazing catch. But yeah, your point about uh Westry's length, it was something I really started to look for um more intentionally, uh, you know, looking at player evaluation, looking at guys coming out in the draft a couple of years ago. I think it was Kenny Moore. For the Colts, that really kind of got me looking that way because the Colts did this really cool series, like pre-draft series, uh, allowing cameras into their sort of meeting rooms with scouts and stuff, and they talked specifically about how you know they had you know height, weight, speed, sort of um, you know baselines or ranges. Ranges is probably a better word. And Kenny Moore didn't hit their height range. Um, Just, you know, measured height. But if you took into account his arm length and wingspan, he effectively played to that height. Mm -hmm. So uh, it it was something that I think people think about on the offensive side of the ball, particularly with offensive line. But I think about it with defensive players, particularly coverage players, because now you can shrink the size of throwing windows. Oh, yeah. And when the ball is like you said, when, when you're actually body to body contact, you know, you get an opportunity to get your hands on the ball more
3: often. Yeah, I mean, I, the, 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 like you mentioned, they're just making the window smaller, making your catch radius overlap, the other guy's catch radius is huge. But, but the body, when, when you're in contested catch land, and that's a lot, there are a lot of throws in the NFL, which, which have to be made into contested situations. Um, you know, when that happens, that that long corner, he's not going to interfere anymore. He doesn't have to. He can reach right across your body and, and tip that ball out. He can be there quickly to knock that ball out of your hand when you get it there fast. So I, I, I love it in, in particular. You know how I love offensive tackle arm length, but, but uh, mm-hmm. cornerback arm length is really important too. And uh, and uh, it, it probably is it probably is the second most important position. I mean, I'd have to i have to really think about whether I thought it was important at guard or center, but uh, it's 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 offensive tackle than cornerback. I'd say safety doesn't have as much chance to to um, impose that yeah. that will. Yeah, yeah. Any
0: tip one later in the game? He actually, yeah. went, was down the left sideline. He kind of tipped it tipped it away. I, I think he was trying to tip it to himself actually, but yeah. you know, ended up tipping it out of bounds.
3: Great play, great play. Uh, so th- anyway, uh, Westry, a guy for twenty twenty two and beyond, you but you're buying into.
0: I mean, based on what we've seen so far, you know, it's 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 been a limited sample size. I mean, we know about training camp. He played pretty well throughout training camp in the preseason. then, um, you know, injury has kind of um, reduced some of his opportunity in season. But from what we've seen so far and we're going to, you know, hopefully uh, he doesn't have uh, any injury. And, you know, he kind of had a, a hand thing, I think, in the game. But hopefully Looked like
3: maybe a broken it. or dislocated finger, from what I could see, they had to tape it together, take the last two fingers together So it's on his pinky, they said.
0: Yeah. So hopefully we get to see more of him down the stretch here and continue to kind of help us, you know, crystallize those feelings that we have about him. But based on what I've seen so far. Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
3: All right. Tavon Young, kind of a tough game. Um, He hasn't been healthy recently and he's one of the only defenders who I didn't think played all that great. Uh, It's not like he didn't make any plays, but he had the pass interference in the end zone, of course. Then he gave up the nine yard touchdown to Hooper on the I think it was Hooper. Maybe Landry. Landry. Lander, the mm-hmm. touchdown. Um, his first down, maybe he gave up. I'm thinking of another nine-yard play to Hooper that went for a first ground. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, a little bit of a tough game, but he's been one of the guys who's been around the ball the whole time. So if you're looking forward to the rest of this year, not just looking back at this game, I, th- I still think you have to look at Young as a guy who has to really – the Ravens will be well-served if he can stay healthy and play the slot because they have enough problems on the outside as it is. Yeah, when he's right, uh, you know, he
0: I, I don't think as we've seen him come back this year from, you know, kind of those couple seasons of of, mm. of missing basically the entire season with injury, um, hasn't quite gotten to, you know, that form that he had before when he was mm. he was kinda in his prime and healthy. But when he's been healthy this year, um, I think he's still been, you know, a, a, a pretty solid guy in the slot. Um, you talked about not being healthy, whether it's, you know, physical uh you know injury or whether it's, you know, illness. Kind of working his way back through that and, um, you know, had a couple of tough plays in the game. That touchdown to Landry down there, really well designed play. Uh, I know we're not supposed to do that, but I'm just saying <laughs> it was a well designed concept in terms of how the run action and uh, Landry's selling that he was going to go inside and crack block on the safety, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just all worked really well together in conjunction. And you could see on the replay, you could see Tavon's eyes looking inside and looking back, you know, trying to read. Um, the ball fake and what's going on, um, you know, in in the end zone. And people might say, well, he's got to keep his eyes on his guy. Well, when he sees that receiver take that inside angle as if he's going to come inside and crack on a safety, his responsibility now becomes crack replace. He has to replace the safety getting pinned inside, outside. Mm -hmm. He's in the run fit now. So he has to keep his eyes somewhat there to try to read, is this actually run or not? And the way those two things work together, by the time, you know, Baker, you know, Pulls the ball out of the fake and Landry now cuts back outside towards, you know, that corner uh, pylon of the end zone. He's he's outside of the end zone. But, you know, that direction on that line, Um, it's too late. It's too late for Tavon to recover. So that happened like bang, bang. But just the design of that to capture his eyes and to know that this guy's in the run and we can manipulate him. Um was you know pretty nice design play for the red zone concept.
3: Outstanding stuff. It's worth going back and taking a look at that again. I'll need to do that after the show here, but I appreciate you doing that for us, Michael. Um, Clark, eh, the only thing I've got to say about this is this secondary right now, it, more than at any other time, probably during Clark's tenure with the Green Dot, needs to have better communication than it has. And he, he fixed it like nobody's business in 2019 when there were lots of breakdowns in the secondary that frankly included a guy I know they signed again today. Tony Jefferson uh, <laughs> was was part of that. Uh, but now you know it, they ha- the communication fixes any kind of coverage switches they want to run at the line of scrimmage. This is a big bugaboo from you know last week with the Steelers and whatnot, all the bunch formations that are getting run against the Ravens and the, their inability to cover that off the line of scrimmage if they want to do anything against playoff teams particularly like the Chiefs or in the Steelers if they want to get into the playoffs with, with a win in the last game of the season, they need to figure out some different ways to switch coverage when it's appropriate at the line of scrimmage so players on the field got to be making this decision together rather than having this come in over somebody's helmet and oftentimes that means Clark has got to do something. Maybe signal himself to two players that, that have to have to do that. Maybe just be part of a you know two or three player group uh, opposite a uh, a bunch of formation that has to make that call. And I you know I've seen this in past times and seen players get upset about one person not doing it or understanding it. But they'll make this series of signals to each other and then they will go, "Why did you do it?" Kind of thing. It's it's uh, uh, it's, it's it's frustrating to watch. But but Clark. If, if there's a film study requirement to get the other corners on the same page, I want him to take care of that. And on whatever on-field is required to communicate it, if he's part of it, I want him to take care of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I love – I, I reference this Bob Wiley quote all the time. Bob Wiley used to be an offensive line coach in the league, coach for the Browns and some other teams. He says that 80% of the game is communication. So much of it comes down to communication, whether that's pre-snap, post-snap, so much of it is about communication and that specific uh, scenario that you're describing, those specific scenarios about uh, DBs having to have a game plan for how they want to defend routes when they're, you know, coming out of a bunch or it could even be a two man It's a little bit easier with a two man mm-hmm. stack, but, you know, three man bunch. Um, you got to talk about that. And, you know, you hear coaches joke sometimes and say, look, if we're, if we're all right, we're all right. If we're all wrong, we're still okay. Right. If everybody's wrong in the same way, then we're okay. okay. But if you're wrong in one way and I'm wrong in a different way, then we got a bigger problem. Uh, but I, I I'm a little encouraged um, at just because I saw Brandon Stevens kind of mm-hmm. do a little bit of that at times in this game. And I know that's something that they've been, you know, sort of encouraging him to do is to be a little more communicative. And um, it was a play. It might've been the Hooper um pass interference um, against Tavon play because it was on it was away from that it was on the right side of the formation and I think Stevens came down they might have had a two or a three-man bunch and he's down there with Averitt and I forget who the third person was and you could see him give the switch call say hey I'm gonna I'm gonna stay outside you stay inside I think it was Clark yeah it was Averitt Clark and Stevens and you could see him communicate that and you could see Averick kind of communicate back. Like, yeah, I got it. I got it. Cause that's a big part of it too. You can, you can communicate all you want, but if it's not received, if the other guy doesn't actually hear it and acknowledge that he's heard it, then you're like, well, I told you. And he's like, I, I didn't hear you. I didn't see it. Um, and then it kind of played out that way. When the routes distributed, everybody kind of stayed where, you know, they had, they said that they'd indicated where they were going to stay. So I'm encouraged to see that. Obviously, you want to see it happen more often. We still see those breakdowns. You talked about the 34-yarder to DPJ. That looked like Mm -hmm. cover three. And, you know, you'd expect Averitt to be in the deep outside third to that side. But he drives on Landry in the flat. But, Geno Stone also drives on Landry in the flat. And DPJ is running up the left seam, you know. And Stevens was shaded to the other side of the field to the left side. So he wasn't
3: going to be able to get over there. Yeah, that wouldn't have been the first time this year that Averett has abandoned his deep cover three responsibility on that right side from the offense's perspective. So uh, I, that's the way I took it, too, is, is it looked like Stone was the, was the guy. I, originally, I thought it was Clark, actually, and then I thought, OK, Clark can't have missed this. He, he must know his assignment. Then even knowing that Stone, I think he's, he's more likely coming back to front uh, and, and knowing what the, what the call was. If he goes up to the front, it's probably his assignment. Because, you know, a safety moving up to the front is probably his assignment. And that was one of the plays earlier this year. And I think it was the other one Averitt messed up by not going to deep cover three. What told me it was Averitt's assignment wasn't anything Averitt did. It was Brandon Stevens on the other side going up to take the front corner of the cover three. So it was a four four by three. Cover three. And on the on the on the up front right, Brandon Stevens jumped up and say, OK, well, if, if Clark's in the middle and Brandon uh, in the back and Brandon Stevens is jumping up to take that front fourth, it has to be Averitt on the back third. So you, you kind of process of elimination sometimes gives it to you in these situations. Yep.
0: And when you're in cover three, you know, basically there's two outside third players. There's one middle third player. Mm-hmm. There's two flat players and two hook players. And so that flat player to that side, I believe, is Geno Stone. But what the Browns did, and you can understand why this might get a corner, um, is you've got DPJ out there initially, just Averitt and DPJ. Then they motion Landry um, outside of DPJ, right? But Landry runs to the flat and DPJ goes up the seam. So from Averitt's standpoint, he's looking at that outside, now new outside receiver, Landry, right? Thinking, okay, he's going to vertical release and I'll, I'll take him in the outside third, but he stops, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight yards and the DPJ runs vertical. So this is, you know, you hear John Harbaugh talk about this all the time about eye discipline and, you know, it's kind of coach terminology. But, yeah, you got to have your eyes in the right place. Right. Where are you supposed to be looking? What is your assignment? Is it that guy in the flat just because he's the widest receiver and the closest to you, you know, in terms of that proximity? Or is it that vertical that you're supposed to be protected?
3: So know your assignment. All yeah. right. Kayvon Seymour, I think I think. He is on the roster now, right? He's not a practice squad call-up. No, he's on the roster. So uh, they, Jackson is the guy they brought up from the from the practice squad this time. Mm-hmm. So Seymour was in there when they needed him. You know, Westry went down. Uh, other players went down. Tavon Young was unavailable at some point during this game, and he went in to, to replace him. Uh, he did a good job. He helped corral Landry on a, on a four-yard play on third and 11 that ended a drive. So that was a big deal. And that was in Q4 right before the Ravens scored their touchdown that brought them within – two and by the way that drive kind of piss you off for the alacrity shown on that drive from Huntley not not that it was it was an unsuccessful drive it certainly was successful but they needed to score by two minutes and change to have a chance to call their timeouts and get the ball back instead of an onside kick not that the onside kick worked out but yeah. didn't like the alacrity yeah. of that drive at all.
0: Yeah, you, you, you know, sometimes you're sitting there and you're watching it at home or, or even if, you know, you happen to go in person, you're like, come on, guys, hurry up, hurry up, yep, pick it up, yep. get up to the line, we got to go,
3: you know, so yeah, I, I was, I was there with you. All right. I, I don't even like sugar huddle in that case. Just line up four oh one, line up, you know, four wide, one, one running back in the backfield. They, they do that almost every play anyway. I mean, you hardly ever have a difference from that. You don't pull a guard. You're not. You're, you're, there's no. There's no blocking assignment you really need really to talk to. Everybody understands it's a pass play. What their assignments are. The line's going to get called at the line of scrimmage. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand the slowness in that situation and the the lack of ability to get lined up. Anyway, I said, got to call someone. You got a rookie quarterback. All that stuff. Yep. All right. Let me move on here because we've been 30 minutes and I love talking football with you, Michael. But this happens every time is that I I (laughs) delay us because it's so much fun to have you on the show. And I apologize for that. Um, We did want to talk about a couple of packages here that the Ravens ran because they did some interesting things from a package perspective. I thought Um, the Browns actually run so limited a set of offensive formations. They're varied. But they always seem to run a heavy, meaning they run a lot of twelve, a lot of twenty-one, some twenty-two, some thirteen. But it's but they they don't run much eleven personnel that forces you to to decide if you want to go with the the, the nickel or maybe even try some offshoot of the nickel, like a jumbo nickel or something else, depending on on what your fears might be.
0: Yeah, I think that was. Um... A point of interest for me going into this game because I, I think mm-hmm. we knew from the last um Ravens Browns game that Harrison Bryant, one of their tight ends, mm-hmm. was out. He got injured in that game and he's he's out. Uh and then I think David Njoku was on the COVID list going yep. into this game. And so that left Austin Hooper. And I think they brought up a guy, Forrestal, mm-hmm. I might have his name wrong. But you, you uh, gotta... but, you know, like you mentioned, you know, they like those multiple tight end packages. And so I was wondering, you know, okay, well, how are they gonna adjust to that and so yep. saw a little bit of forestall, saw a little bit of uh you mentioned twenty one, but twenty one with Hunt and Chubb, or Hunt and the Ernest Johnston, or Hunt right. and felt <laughs> or Chubb and you know, some combination of two actual running backs and they even mixed right. in a fullback at time on some plays.
3: Yeah. So they had sixteen snaps to Andy Janovich. And, and, you know, what this reminded me of is the Ravens at the end of last year without Boyle because they didn't know what to do with their extra eligible receivers once they lost their, one of their most important tight ends who played every snap. Well, the Browns decided put Hooper on the field every single snap, and you kind of mentioned that. Forrestal came in, he played, I don't know, 15 snaps or something. Janovich played 16 snaps. Blake Hance came in as a sixth offensive lineman 18 times. Yep. They played this pony backfield, and that was it was five or seven snaps. I forget which, but it was a, I, I did that by just taking total running back snaps and and – Subtracting total snaps, which I think would give it to us because I don't think there are any place where they had zero running backs, so either had two or one and and so it was like five or seven, but it but it, they had a variety of ways of trying to adapt to the fact that they didn't really have enough heavy players to make to satisfy themselves to run their offense the way they want but it after they couldn't run against the Ravens without Calais Campbell the first time. And they really shut him down in Baltimore. They still couldn't run against the Ravens, as it turned out without Calais Campbell, once they stayed with heavy formations this time around. Yeah, it wasn't
0: I I, I don't remember the numbers exactly from the last game, but I don't think it was much better this game. I think Chubb was seventeen for fifty nine, mm-hmm. um, and he had a fifteen yarder in there. So if you back that out, that doesn't I think he's under three yards a carry. And then um, you know, Hunt obviously was injured. Um, Mm -hmm. relatively early on. And so he didn't play as much, but even to uh, Dearness Johnson, I think he was four for 22 and he had a 13 yarder in there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, they have really done um, surprising to me, maybe not to them, but it really was surprising to me in the first Browns game and this Browns game. When you think about Chubb and you think about Hunt, and I know Hunt wasn't hundred percent last game and didn't play much this game, but you're just thinking about that running game, even with Chubb alone, and you're expecting, you know, to to see them put up, you know, some bigger numbers. But the Ravens, really, man, they did a great job in this in the last game in this game with their edges. Really, were good on the edges. Really, were good in the interior at times, yep. getting knocked back and penetration on the interior. To, you know, so when that running back takes the ball and he's on his track, now he's got a bubble because
3: yeah. there's somebody two three yards into the backfield. Yeah, I, I was noticing that I think in both games I think it was yeah. it was even, maybe even more prevalent the first game because they did have a few good runs in this one a few well-blocked plays but um, the Ravens had good edge setting almost uniformly it wasn't it wasn't perfect in this game but it, but it was almost uniformly in the last game but they had like one guy penetrating along the line of scrimmage almost every play and, and sometimes it was Williams and sometimes it was Washington in this game did some good things Matabike did some really nice things against mm-hmm. the run in this game to, to, to bubble up the plays and you know what that does is you, you, Mike I know you know this, this, but, but we talked to the fans here for a second is when, when you bubble anywhere along the line of scrimmage, you cut down on the choices that the running back has. You often force a choice between left or right of that player. But at the very least, you, you cut down on the total space he has of the lanes he has available for cutback. And, and that makes it easier not only for for um, uh, for other players to penetrate behind you, which can happen, but it also uh, it makes gives linebackers and safety signals on, hey, these are the gaps I need to make sure I cover now uh, because these are the only choices he has. So uh, it, it gives it gives much better options to the defense once they get one player who can who can win their matchup one on one. Yeah, and that that penetration, that interior penetration is so
0: key against that wide zone, outside zone yep. scheme um, that the Browns really like to run. If you can do that and force that uh, that running back off of his track, then all the things you just described come into play and uh, makes it much more difficult for them to get in the rhythm and, and really do the things that they want to do.
3: All right, so the base defense, uh, they held the Browns to 21 run plays for 71 yards, so 3.4. That was right around their overall average for the game. 14 pass plays for 62 yards, so that was a big problem in the first game. And it was real hard to find positive splits on the Browns in that first game because terrible offensive game for the Browns. But they did have 9.9 yards per pass play against the base defense. Ravens being in base 35 times this game, I would have thought – the Browns would really take advantage of the Ravens. Now, a lot of their game is like the 2019 Ravens is very much play action based. They don't have great receivers, certainly. And so they're trying to trying to show run, show run action a lot and then use that to to try and work off that to to, to hit the receivers or more often, even a, a tight end in space. Uh they didn't have that available to them as much in this game, but they still had, you know, receivers who are credible and they didn't have the same success throwing with only 4.4 yards per pass in this game.
0: Yeah, they like to run a lot of their, you mentioned it, a lot of their passing concepts off of that, that wide zone run action where you get the quarterback kind of, you know, booting out. Sometimes Mm -hmm. most of the time a naked booty usually doesn't have a protector out there in front of him. Mm -hmm. And then you get the misdirection with a tight end coming back across, you know, running an over route or a wide receiver running an over route or somebody leaking out underneath, you know, so they love to do that. And they'll take shots. They'll take deep shots with that too, where they'll have guys kind of maybe coming from uh, if you think about the zone run going to the left, right? The run action Mm -hmm. going to the left. And then you have a player coming from left to right, running and over. But then they'll have a guy on the right side of the field. And I think that was one of Landry's catches where he's coming from the right and they're kind of running like a scissors sort of thing, almost Mm -hmm. with the tight end coming from the left and him coming from the right, running underneath the tight end and then leaking back out um, down sort of the, the left corner. Um, and so, you know, so they,
3: they had a player running a route to the left side on a naked boot, right? Because zone block left, naked boot, right is almost always three two one on reads that are up that right sideline from the hash to the right sideline from the hash to the right side. Yeah.
0: But this so is what I'm interesting. saying. Is you have. Yeah. So you have the kind of normal way that you just described it. But. What they did, and I think they, you know, we've seen the Bengals. The Bengals did that to the Ravens with that C.J. Uzama Mm -hmm. Uzama play against uh, Marlon Marlon Humphrey. You'll have that guy come from the right side, that tight end, and he's going in like he's blocking on the backside, right, a wide zone away from him, like he's climbing to a Mm -hmm. linebacker. But he actually turns it into a route and kind of sneaks out over to the left side and then gets vertical, and somebody's got to pick that guy up. You know what I mean? If you don't have a post, and a lot of times that post safety now is biting on the over route coming from the left side. And so if you don't have somebody out on that back left side, that guy gets vertical and there's nobody there to take him. OK, so that quarterback's you know,
3: got to find time to plant his foot and make a very long throw accurate or it doesn't have to be that accurate. Right. You can throw it to a very general area to be run under, I guess. Yeah. At that, point. And you probably
0: might now that you say that you might even remember the play. I don't remember the quarter in time reference, but Baker did it in this game where he kind of booted out to the right. And it was like a throwback almost where he kind of okay. and turns back to the left. Uh, and throw, and I, I think that one was the Landry. It might have been the DPJ. I can't remember. Um, but it wasn't like a huge, huge throw. It was, it was somewhere in the teens, maybe like a 15, 16 yard or something like that. Um, so, yeah, they do a lot of that stuff. And then you mentioned the tight end stuff, you know, off the straight drop back on first down. And the Ravens did a really good job on kind of taking that away mm-hmm. in the second half because in the first half, what would happen was uh, you got wide receiver in line tight end to a side, and you've got a cornerback out there on the detached wide receiver, and you got Patrick Queen Typically, most of the time it was to queenside, Mm -hmm. um, to the tight end. But he's inside the tight end, right? Closer to inside the tackle box. So the tight end just, you know, goes up five yards, runs a little stick right, breaks out. There's nobody there, right? (laughs) And so you can hit that on first down and uh, it could be a six, seven, eight, nine, ten yard game, right? If he's got to try to make a tackle after the catch. And what they started to do in the second half was bring Brandon Stevens down to bracket that on the outside. So now Queen is still on the inside. Tight end wants to break outside, expecting that void to be there like it was in the first half. And Stevens or, or Clark, whoever was, you know, the, the back safety was coming down and taking that away. And then Baker had to come off of that read and look to something else. So it was a nice little adjustment that they made on that play because they got hit with it a couple times in the first half.
3: I have to go back and look for that now too. I appreciate you bringing that up, and that uh, I'll uh, I'll take a look, Michael. Uh, let's move on with the packages here. And again, we're we're a little bit behind here, but they did this. They ran twelve plays of standard nickel here. Uh, just they run that against eleven personnel, so it's not it's not something you really see otherwise. Uh, and five point nine yards per play. Not a lot to say about that. The, the the big one that they had they won the game with last last time against the Browns was the rush dime. They ran twelve rush dimes or 16, and I think it was 16, and, and the Browns got 12 yards for .75 per play. I remember that. So this time, they were more, much more effective, 10 plays for 75 yards, so 7.5 yards per play. Uh, they had more success on third down, but they weren't extraordinarily successful. Now, one way to look at this is by expected points, and the Browns were 6 of 13 on third down, so you kind of got to look at, well, were they long third downs? Were they short third downs? Well, I can tell you, Dan Reese gave me the numbers today, and he said they gained four-tenths of an expected point on third down. So that's basically a break-even game. Mm-hmm. But what lost the game for the Ravens, and let me make sure I have this right, Dan, because you worked hard on this. I want to make sure that uh, I report this correctly here. The Ravens on third down, one of 12 for minus 12.7 effective, uh, uh, expected points. So that was the I- game. Right there. Yeah. That's painful. Cost them two touchdowns of their, uh, their results on third down. All right. Let's, let's go moving on. It doesn't matter. You, know, you guys don't care that they were one jumbo and one jumbo nickel, but I just told you, so I got it in there anyway. <laughs> let's move on to the pass rush a little bit. Tough game for the pass rush. Uh, really poor showing with only one quarterback hit, uh, but there was some effective pressure uh, that they got to, to Mayfield with Um The high rate of ATS allowed for the second straight game, so ample time and space, they are at 44% this game. They were at 50% last game, which is the worst of the season so far for the Ravens. So part of this is knowing how good the Browns line is, of course, but but not just that, but accepting the fact that it might be better to cover versus Baker, who makes a fair number of unforced errors, and particularly with his injury currently.
0: Yeah, I think so. And you could see – on some of those pass rush situations where, you know, it's a, it's a known passing down where they're almost spying Baker a little bit, like a yeah. way, you yeah. know, it's kind of dropping back to the middle a little bit and kind of hanging out. And then if it looks like there's a lane that opens up that he can then attack, then he'll attack and he'll rush where it looks like Baker's committed to a throw. He's not going to try to get out at that point. So it's almost like, yeah, they sort of can concede. It's not the right word, but sort of a, a conscious choice to say, maybe we are going to, give up a little bit in terms of of what we could do in in pass rush, just to play it a little bit safer and kind of force him um, to have to throw the ball. Because I've said it, I've made no no secret about it with Baker Mayfield. I think when you can manage him in the passing game, Mm -hmm. you talked about those play-action throws, kind of half-field reads, Mm -hmm. very defined reads, Um, I think he can be effective. But when you can get him into straight drop-back, full-field reads, full-field progressions, uh, I think he struggles. I think he has a hard time with that, and you know if you can get him in that world, if you can get them away from their run game, get them away from their play action pass stuff and get him in that straight drop back, you know go through all the progressions across the field, I think you really like to your chances against him in that world
3: right yeah, it's it's a uh, you know it's all situational too, but and you mentioned you know some of the some of the appropriate situations there. If you can get him into that straight brought back world is oftentimes saying it's third down or they have to pass to catch up. You know, those are situations you always, you want to have any quarterback in, but you definitely want to have Baker Mayfield in if you can ever get him there. He, he becomes a fadeaway jumper quarterback as Chris Collinsworth, you, you know, use the term. And I thought that was something we saw at times in this game. Cause when the Ravens rush five plus, they were amazingly effective. Let me get you the numbers here real quickly. And yes, when they rushed five plus, I think I was intending to read this from in my article over here. They had 13 plays. Sorry. No, that's not correct. Five plus. They had 15 plays of 32 dropbacks So 47 percent. They rushed five plus and they averaged three point three yards per play with one interception on those plays. So right. that's getting it done. Yep. And so the pass rush was not meaningless in terms of its impact on this game. They just didn't knock the quarterback down. They only got to him one time and Broderick Washington had his first career sack stripped away from him by a challenge, (laughs) which is always fun to see. Yeah. And they had a couple, not many, it was maybe two
0: times, maybe three, Mm -hmm. but there's two that I'm kind of envisioning where it looks like they should have had him Mm -hmm. and he somehow, you know, squeezed his way out and was able to scramble Mm -hmm. around and either, you know, scramble for a couple of yards or at least throw the ball away. Uh, or get it out. And I was like, man, this guy's just hard to get. Not, he, it's different, right? It's not like Ben Roethlisberger or even, you know, Deshaun Watson a couple of years back when they played home. But these guys are strong and they're hard to get down, right? You mm-hmm. get on them, you get your hands on them, you kind of collapse it and they're just strong. He, this guy's like slippery. I want to say almost Weasley in the mm-hmm. way that you can't get your hands on him. Yeah,
3: let's go with Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh what else i want to say about the pass rush in this game um martindale did not use a whole lot of deception this game but i'll tell you quickly at 11 off ball blitzes which is back up to kind of the normal range for him as 0.34 per pass play those are spread among eight plays uh they were successful plays those eight plays went for 35 yards they also included the interception so 4.4 yards per play on those they only did two design stunts Michael if you're looking at it you might even think it was one I, you know away was almost like looked like he might have been halfway between mm-hmm. moving into a position to read and and spy Mayfield as opposed to definitely pass rushing but um there were two instances of that uh they went for 7 yards total uh simulated pressure only 3 times that's really low for Wink really low uh any ideas why that might be by the way why less simulated pressure against Baker um that's a good question
0: because it's still a safe pressure from a number mm-hmm. standpoint, right? You're probably only going to bring four. Where that fourth comes from is probably going to be different than, you know, sort of con- conventional. But it's still going to be pretty safe. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Something I've been thinking about all week, and and I mentioned Denar Milton earlier uh, in the show, he <laughs> I will say that he, he's uh, he's not a big fan of some of the pressure that Wink brings, at least in terms of the amount of pressure and some th- the times hmm. in which he brings it. Uh, and he's been kind of paying attention to some of these post game comments from Harbaugh. Uh, and I think there was one last week where he said, hey, you know, sometimes you go to the well a little too often. <laughs> uh, when he was talking about cover zero pressure. And so he's wondering if, hey, in the media, Harbaugh, that's probably the furthest he's going to go with that kind yes. of thing. But behind closed doors in the coaches' meeting rooms, he goes, hey, we might, we might need to dial this back a little bit <laughs> in certain situations <laughs> just to protect our guys back there uh, at this point because we don't have Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey and all these guys back there. So I don't know that that's it. Uh, but he and I, that's something
3: that we, we, we kick around a little bit as a, a possible theory. Okay. All right. Well, that, that, that sounds plausible. He's He's been up and down with Deception. Deception has generally worked. This is what's been funny about it. I mean, it's been working recently. He just hasn't been using as much of it. And in particular, I understand against Roethlisberger that he's not going to want to do... Uh, where you do disadvantage your two guys who are dropping a cover is against a quarterback like, like Roethlisberger who gets, gets rid of the ball very quickly. You drop from the A-gap, you're not going to be able to cover that seam and and, and drag it for a, for a slot receiver, say. And you probably can't even get off... And cover a tight end off the line of scrimmage if it's anything but a shallow cross, mm. you know. So, so you don't. It's, it, it makes it harder, uh, you know, to do those things. But allows you to do other things like blitz the slot corner, you know, yep. bring up a safety and blitz off the edge. And we saw how much trouble Lamar had with uh, simulated pressure against the Dolphins. The Dolphins, mm-hmm. it wasn't the it wasn't Cover Zero that was beating Lamar. It, it was the sim pressure. They did that twenty four times in that game. I see you nodding against. Great.
0: That's been a pet peeve of mine ever since that game is like people cover zero uh, for a lot of people in this band. has become like RPO, right? Everything. Anytime the ball goes into the running back's belly, it's an RPO. It cannot be traditional play action. It can't be anything else. And so now cover zero, right? Same thing. Anytime I see, you know, what looks like six or more guys coming, it's always cover zero. But I'm like, look, many, many times somebody is dropping out. Usually multiple people are dropping out. Uh, but people oh, it's cover zero. They don't have any answers for cover zero. and it,
3: it, it, It's been very frustrating. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just it doesn't make any sense. And, and it does. The, 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 those two guys who drop, particularly if you vary it at all from the inside of, you know, eight or seven men at the line of scrimmage like the Dolphins had 40 times in that game. You know, you, if if you vary that at all, you create all kinds of read difficulty for quarterback Lamar, who's not used to getting rid of the ball hot anyway. It's not his natural thing to get rid of the ball hot Anyway, to the inside of the field, I would say, uh, and it's it's just it obviously will create problems. But as a straight eight man pass rush, Lamar would eat that up. I mean, he would he would he would eat that up if it if it happened every play.
0: Yeah, you can go back to twenty nineteen, right? And many yeah. times they were an empty in empty, and the kind of success they had out of empty when people would bring pressure against them out of empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see, in conjunction with the people dropping off, so it's not true cover zero. Mm-hmm. Also, the way the secondary is playing, they're playing off. These yeah. guys are not pressing. Like you would see an old school cover zero. They're playing, you know, eight, nine, ten yards off. And they're like, yeah, go ahead and throw it in front of me. We'll come up and make a tackle. They're playing a lot of zone principles, too. Miami did a ton of that where they're almost like matching guys from off in what looks like cover one, uh, cover zero man. So, I mean, there's, there's layers to it that I don't know have been, um, you know, fully unpacked, but that's neither
3: here nor there. Lots lots of unpacking. And and you can see other teams did not go immediately to match exactly what Miami did, but they had other schemes that have confused Lamar and and you know given him additional trouble with blitz concepts. I mean, the Pittsburgh almost all zone blitzes, you know, they, they I won't say almost all, but a, a high number of zone blitzes in their game where they're dropping somebody from one side of the line of scrimmage and blitzing somebody else from the opposite side. Uh, you know, anything that moves guys laterally along the line of scrimmage can be frustrating to Lamar because it could close windows. You know, just having a guy oftentimes he doesn't even have to know where the guy is behind him. Doyle Brunson used to say that, as long, he, could, he could win a poker tournament if he didn't even look at his cards, as long as he didn't know the other guy didn't know he looked at his cards. he <laughs> just read the other player. And, and, and oftentimes that's going to be true of any guy moving laterally along the line of scrimmage, is that he's closing a window whether he knows it or not. He can read the quarterback a little bit to figure out if he's closing a window. He doesn't actually have to know where that receiver is necessarily. Nope, he does not. But it's, so it's really more about unblocked edge pressure.
0: Yeah, that's been an issue for Lamar more than a particular scheme. Right. Like one magic bullet scheme. Mm-hmm. Unblocked edge pressure can come from a variety of different schemes. And that's that's been an issue for him.
3: Yeah. All righty, let's move on here. We talked about the pass rush. I think we're good on that. Individual player discussion. Who would you like to talk about? That so we haven't gotten oh, so far.
0: Uh we mentioned this guy earlier, so we can start with him. Justin BK. Um Caught my eye, like it sounds like he caught yours in the run game in particular. I mean, yeah. just in terms of his get off the ball and his penetration, kind of pushing guys back into the backfield. Uh, it was impressive. Now, he's gonna have moments where he sort of loses his balance at times because it's such an explosive move up the field. Like, there's no, you know, uh, let me, you know, hold a little bit of hesitation, a little bit of caution. Let me read. No, there's no reading. I'm I'm getting up the field. And so sometimes I can, you know, make you a little susceptible to kind of getting, you know, knocked off your bins at times. But I'll take that Right. I'll, I'll take, you know, that's going to happen at times versus somebody um, who's kind of more reading more often and a little more cautious about trying to penetrate him and, and knock those offensive linemen back to disrupt the running back. So uh, I liked it. I thought he died. I thought he did a lot of good things in the run game. And, um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm happy. Uh, with what he's been able to do this year, I know there was big expectations on him coming out of training camp. People probably yeah. wanted to see more in the pass rush department, and probably hasn't quite lived up to that. But you know, there's still been progress. It it just might
3: not be in the ways that people were hoping for. I I mean, he's most of the time when he when he gets a pass rush win, he gets it one on one. Which is good. You need you need anyone along your line of scrimmage who can win a one-on-one matchup. You rarely, for an interior lineman, can you scheme up a free run. It, I guess it can happen on a stunt and some other things where you can kind of loop somebody around. But it's unlikely to happen. Matabike really has to win with the first step a lot. And he has to win uh, otherwise with quickness and leverage and you know his relative size to, to a bigger man generally is across from him. Might outweigh him by 10 percent a lot of the time. And he has, to, he has to figure out how can I use my hands to, to detach? How can I make that first step to get in a position where he really can't block me? And, and he's been pretty good at that. I thought he had two pressure events as I scored it in this game. Two other pressures he lost on short runs. So you know it was a case where he got into the backfield, disrupted the play, uh, flushed, the, flushed the pocket, but Mayfield ran for a short gain, and then I flushed his pressure. Uh, unfairly, I'm sure PFF would keep it for him, but uh, but I have I have him for two pressures in this game. Uh, he had two plays where he blew up the run play, as I saw it. Uh, once Johnson, once Chubb. And you know he he also un- penetrated unblocked another time where he was he was like, trailing the play and he came down uh, to, mm-hmm. to to tackle Chubb for a loss of two so a really good set of a good set of plays and nice to see him be able to step up play forty five snaps uh, not qu- I don't think that's quite his career high but it's close uh, with Campbell out
0: yeah I mean I thought I thought him and and the other you know two three interior guys are all pretty solid this game. Brandon Williams, uh, Justin Ellis, even Broderick Washington yeah. uh, in certain situations. I thought they all like the first game, like the first Browns game. I thought those guys all played pretty well overall. Yeah. and, and uh, Brandon Williams maybe a, a, stood out a little bit more in the first Browns game than this game, but I think he still did some nice things uh, in this game too. But um, Josh Bynes, another guy that caught my eye and um, kind of has ever since he's you know gotten into a regular kind of snap load and kind of gotten his feet under him because he's he's just that calming influence, that traffic cop out there in the middle of the defense, making sure everybody's where they're supposed to be, primarily making sure Patrick Queen is where he's supposed to be and giving him a lot of direction and communication. And I think that's been so good for not just the overall defense, but for Patrick Queen specifically. And you see, he still is, you know, setting up guys to make plays, right? He knows how to fit runs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he sees pullers, he understands somebody's got to be on the inside and the outside of that puller. You know, he just conceptually he understands how uh, defense is supposed to be played and assignments and help. Right. That's such a big thing on defense is playing to where, knowing where your help is, number one, and then playing to where your help is. And I think he does a really good job of kind of bringing that and helping some of these young young guys, especially the young you know linebackers uh, along, um, even though we haven't seen uh, much of Malik Harrison, you know, his unfortunate shooting. But my guy, Christian Welch, I've been very happy with him getting some defensive snaps. <laughs>
3: yeah. Let's let me talk about Bynes for a second here, because he had a great game this game. I, don't, I, I think this needs to be talked about more. He's he's splitting some time with Welch, but he had thirty nine snaps in this game. Five run stops in the game that were defensive wins where he had a portion of the tackle, either the solo or the assist. Most of the times it was the solo there for one minus two, five, one and one yards. I, 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 I agree with everything you have said about how he is basically leading that unit. It's interesting to see, hear the comments about he's not really playing the mic from. Uh, do you hear this already? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what do you have to say about that?
0: Yeah. So um, myself, Denar Melton, Coach Ivan Evans, who you had on the show yep. and people may know from Sip to Films on YouTube and uh, on Twitter, we did a little film breakdown with Queen. And I think we did from the Raiders game up to uh, it was after the Lions game. We we I think we did like five or six games. Okay. Right. And I basically watched every snap um, run and pass defense. Of course we didn't use that. <laughs> in right but We we probably pulled out 10 or 15 plays. And one thing that I noted just as I was preparing for that and watching all those plays and actually charting them all too. Cause I was like, look, I can't just watch these things. I really got to chart them to make sure I understand what's happening. He, and then binds once binds joined the team. But even before that, when it was, it was queen and Malik Harrison, they were always switching back and forth between Mike and will throughout the game from series to series. Um, Now, obviously, there was a predominance where one guy was playing more Mike than Will and one guy was playing more Will than Mike. But there was always a switching. There was never a hundred
3: percent. This guy's always the Mike. This guy's always the Will. Well, I I don't want to go too deep into this because I think that what Martindale is doing is kind of protecting Queen's ego in a way because he's still playing some Mike. But, of course, a slot corner occasionally ends up on the outside when the the X and the Z receiver end up on the same side. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're, you're, you, uh, you know, it's not that, and and it's, and I I understand that safeties, you know, you have flexible safeties and, you know, you can bring one up in the box and the other one can play back. And, you know, no one, no one guy on our team is the free safety. Well, you know, I, I understand, I think what he's trying to do, but I think he's really trying to protect Queen's ego more than anything. Obviously queen is more often the trail player now in this current thing. He's more often on the weak side of the formation and, you know, I feel a little bit like duped, like I was a few years ago. Not duped is the wrong word because I wasn't fooled by this. But Dean Pease in his last years kept insisting at the podium, particularly two questions that I asked, that Levine was really a linebacker. He wasn't a safety. Okay, I realize you're not going to play him deep as a safety, although he did when when the Ravens ran out of players that year. But, he, but he, you're not going to play him deep. But if he's up in that box and he's only playing there on a sub package and his job is generally either rushing the quarterback or a short middle zone, then I'm saying it's quacking like a duck. He's a, he's a dimeback. He's not a linebacker here. So you can tell me whatever you want. You can call him a pineapple if you want. I know where he plays and what his responsibilities are.
0: Yeah, and I think you can see with Queen playing more in that weak side position. Mm-hmm. It's just more natural and more comfortable to him. Yeah. I think it really fits, you know, who he is as a player. He's a run and chase guy, right? That's yeah. when he's oh, yeah. his, And he's able to do that more from the weak side. Does that mean he can't play Mike? No, it's not a can't. It's not a binary yes or no. But it's like I, I tell people all the time when we have this conversation with him. It's like being um, right handed and being asked to write with your left hand. I can do it, but it's not going to be as legible. It's not going to come as natural to me. I'm going to have to be more intentional about it. And so it's probably going to take me longer. It's not going to look as good. But, yeah, I can do it. So, yeah, can he play the mic? Sure. And and he did it, you know, last year, probably largely out of necessity more than anything else. Um, but he had to take that on in a COVID shorten offseason and try to learn that when he's coming from a system where he played primarily weak side linebacker in a very different system. That Dave Aranda, very different teaching and very different system than what the Ravens do. And so there was a huge learning curve that I don't think people really fully appreciate. You'd have to dive into that Aranda system to sort of see where he was coming from and where they were trying to get him to to see just how steep that curve was. But I, I like what they've done this year to allow him to Play to his strengths and continue to build his confidence. Maintain the
3: right. build his confidence because I think he had lost it at some point this year. Oh yeah, yeah I mean it's, it's very apparent. And the, the lack of physicality, the lack of, of playing to contact, is a real problem. And with with binds next to him now, he's he's back playing to contact fairly regularly. So I uh, I really appreciate that. People like a missile. Sometimes yeah. I mean, he's almost you know, kind of taking
0: himself out of the play in some cases. But he is yeah. there, there's no. Uh, You know, what coaches say, if you're going to make a mistake, make it a hundred, a hundred miles miles an an hour right now.
3: (laughs) One other uh, uh, point I want to make about Queen. And now I've forgotten it. this, but this was just it was so important. I know what it was. The flexibility component of of having the formation dictate a change of position on the fly, whether it's motion or whatever it will be with the changes, the weak side of the strong, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, and, and the responsibility that goes for it, that's healthy for Queen to. Readapt to Mike responsibilities long term. He might be the Mike, or he might not. It might just be that he's a Goodwill linebacker. I don't really see him long term being a guy who takes the green dot from Clark. So already that gives the Ravens the flexibility to do what they do now, which is completely substitute freely at linebacker. So once you're past that point, then I don't know that it matters too much whether he plays Mike or Will. You you have him on the field whenever you want, playing wherever you want, and it could be that he becomes a useful passing down chess piece. It could be that that he is a two down guy who helps you adapt to what the opponent is doing on those places. Whether that's at the will or Mike, but I'm, I I think it's good that the 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 formation that the other team shows is still forces him to reinforce some of those Mike responsibilities. Absolutely, and
0: whether he ultimately plays more will than Mike. It's not a bad thing. There've been some great weak side linebackers. There's guys in the Hall of Fame who are yeah. weak side linebackers. So it's okay if he ends up not being, you know, primarily a Mike linebacker. It's, it's, it's all right.
3: Hey, you've, you've given him permission. That's terrific. I tell you what, we've, we've done some great stuff on players, but let's move on a little bit. We'll talk a little bit of mailbag, if you don't mind. Can you, can you pop over to Twitter and we'll look at Film Study Mailbag and we'll see what we have here. What we've been doing is just okay. bringing them up one question at a time. I'll try and find one real quick and get us going. OK, here's one. Ken and Michael, what are you seeing from Stevens? Feels like uh, he's more often in the right position of late. And that's from at Andrew Scott Hall. Uh, Andrew, I'd agree with that. Uh, what do you have to say, Michael? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you you touched on it a little bit earlier where you talked about
0: some of his angles to the ball being a little better, uh, tackling being a little bit more consistent. Um, I mentioned the communication, a couple examples of a little bit better communication. Um, so yeah, I think that was one of those things that, and and, and not like he's there yet. He hasn't arrived. Uh, it was one of those things that was always going to be a work in progress, right. For him to get in there and learn, um, Angles are such a huge thing at safety in the NFL. These guys are all way faster than you think they are. They're way more elusive than you think they are. And I think that's a really hard thing to learn just in the run game, right? Just in that alone and then all the run support um, responsibilities. And then the pass game, that's its whole another set of responsibilities that you have to learn. So it was always going to be a really big uh, learning curve for him. But I think he's, he's coming along nicely.
3: Yeah, He had to have some of that work ethic in college, it couldn't have been just being a great athlete that allowed him to play multiple positions. Great great athlete allows you to freelance at one position. But when your coach changes you to, to change positions on a play-by-play basis within a series, not just move around to fill in for some injury, but literally you, you'll, you'll be safety on third down, you're going to be the slot corner on second down, and you're outside occasionally if if, you, if the key receiver moves out there. I, 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 He couldn't have done that by just being a great athlete. It had to be by also having a great love of the game and an understanding of, of uh, defensive principles. Yeah, I
0: always look at that as an indication of just how you know, football smart a guy is, just how intelligent he is. And people may remember, uh, if you did a little bit of background on him in the draft, coming out of high school, one of the places he was accepted to, I know he ended up going to UCLA and playing running back, but he's
3: accepted into Stanford. Um, hmm. So I think he's a pretty bright guy. Was he was he uh, I mean, there's a lot of football players at Stanford who may or may not fit that description, but they but but he was a he was a guy who got accepted to Stanford for some particular degree program. Do you you remember if that was involved in that part? I don't remember. That okay. part I don't remember. I remember
0: looking at all the places that had offered him and where he was accepted to. And because I was like, why did you pick UCLA? Uh, <laughs> I was kind of looking around and digging around on some of that. Uh, but to your point about the usage, uh, just the football intelligence part. Sure. I, I, I think that's a pretty clear indication of what they uh, what they think of him. because That's been from the very beginning, yeah. the very beginning of the season, you know, how much they've moved him mm-hmm. around.
3: Okay, so if your if your point was that Stanford only wants real smart football players as a as a you know hallmark of their program, then I, then I agree. I, I I was not meaning to be elitist in some way. Oh to, yeah, uh, no,
0: no. I think David Shaw. Yeah, I think he definitely prefers yeah. to have smart guys on the football team. <laughs> I think he definitely. Right. He's with the Ravens, wasn't he? At one point, David Shaw. Don't know. A years ago.
3: I I believe it. I mean, a lot of good people have gone through the Ravens organization at some point, and probably a lot of people have been with six or eight organizations too. That's um, true. Right. I got another one here. I'll, I'll just do the next one since uh, you, you can you can work on another. Here yeah, now. I found them. i looked them up. I, I, I see a couple. Go ahead. Go ahead, then.
0: Oh, okay. Um, so there's one here, and this one seems to be particularly uh, a hot topic I saw earlier. Uh, this is from Adam Costanzo, at Adam okay. underscore Costanzo zero, or understand, Costan zero. What do you make of the play call on fourth down short throw to Bateman to end the game? Didn't think it gave us much of a chance myself.
3: Offensive question, but uh, I, I didn't like the play. I like running five routes that go at least to the sticks because I think your fifth option is not a check down play. It's a Huntley run. So I, I, I didn't like the way it was done. Uh, now, as the, as the play was ran there, it didn't look like Huntley was going to really have any option with six rushing against five. They didn't keep anybody in the block on the play, is my recollection. Uh, so it didn't, it didn't really leave a lot of options.
0: Yeah, you'll have to bear with me on this, folks. I, I'm supposed to be looking for defensive questions. I'm a rookie. I'm a
3: rookie when it comes okay. to pulling these off. <laughs> I've, got, I've got another defensive question for us. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, okay. Does it yep. feel like the Ravens were holding something back for the postseason with Westry? His ball skills clearly barely well-developed. Well After watching him and Bateman on Sunday, it's hard to believe these two guys weren't seeing way more snaps earlier this season. That's from Frankel. 3
0: I always have a hard time with the – holding something back narrative because you're trying to win games, right? You're trying to win games. You're trying to win as many as you can. And if you have some player that you think can help you win games or gives you a better chance to win games than some other player, you're probably not going to hold that guy back. You're probably going to find a way to get that guy out of right. the field. But I think with him, you know, we, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, you got to factor in the injury situation. You know, he played in the Raiders game and I think mm-hmm. he tore the meniscus. I don't know if it was left knee or his right knee, but he's on injury reserve for several weeks there. Mm-hmm. And then he came back. Uh, and then, then I think it was just a matter of kind of working his way back in. Obviously, once you come back off that injury, they want you to practice, um, for a couple of weeks, kind of see how the knee responds. And then they got to kind of work you back in the game. So I think it was just that process more than, oh, we've got a diamond in the rough here that we want to hide and save, you know, from some, some other time. Because, uh, if that really was the case and he really is that good, and you don't use him, and that hurts your chances of winning oh, yeah. games and get you to the postseason. It doesn't matter how good you think he could be in the postseason, you're not going to get there.
3: <laughs> and and I, I go further to say that it doesn't really help you in terms of your developmental expectations for the player. Westry's not a, not a rookie. He's a year-two player. Mm-hmm. So he played some with Dallas last year, and, and he burned a year of eligibility, quote-unquote. So he's yep. the Ravens have his future for the next three years. They got to get what they can out of it. Now he's a talent. So as a second year player, having a disadvantage against a rookie, and the rookie I'm thinking of particularly is Sean Wade, who might have taken his spot or might have been the, the another guy they would have kept. Uh, you know, similar characteristics in a lot of way in terms of long arms and and you know the mm-hmm. the, the angular body the Ravens like, and uh, you know Wade had, had seen time on the inside or outside at, at Ohio State. Um, I think, he, you know, he could have easily lost his position, but they basically made a huge play on Westry, gave Westry that the j- job on the roster, put Ardarius Washington in, quote-unquote, his spot as well on the practice squad initially, right? I think I think that's where he started, right? Ardarius yeah. Washington before he got called up. And right. Westry is already, after the Marcus Peters injury, is one down on the depth chart, just off the depth chart on the first game. And what do you know? Another injury happens, and he's in there mm-hmm. against Oakland. So- and he gets hurt himself. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one thing about the cornerback depth chart is you're never really holding it for the postseason because you almost always go through a lot of your cornerback depth chart. Corners get hurt. They're like pitchers.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And we, man, I, they talk about that every year here, right, oh, Going yeah. back to, to Ozzy, right, about how important it is to have corners. And we see it every year. We yeah. see this, uh, you know, it's like a an attrition game of attrition, you know, with these corners just to try to get to the season with some healthy guys.
3: You know Michael you you might have liked this, and it 's up there it'll be up there pretty soon, actually, but I talked to a couple of Brazilian guys. they have a very interesting new system they're putting together for infrared imaging that allows for ten to fifteen second turnaround on development of muscle injuries and it's It's a fascinating thing, and it'd be the kind of thing that would apply to training camp, but it wouldn't apply to um, uh, regular season games because they can't. Apparently, they can't do it. They have to have a controlled environment in which they take these images. But they can do it before and after. And they also, oh, the other thing was they need to have a naked area. So the, they'd have to go into like a privacy booth. Literally, player would have to drop trowel, get this picture mm-hmm. taken, of, and, and have a heat map done. And then they could determine like these relative heat deltas to determine if injury. Something. I don't. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but it was it was fascinating to listen to these guys talk about how this system works. And they're they're using it for South American soccer right now. And and because soccer uniforms are more scanty, you can see more of the important areas in this lower body, mostly obviously for soccer players that are the important areas. And they're able to, to detect certain things about injury. So I'm really looking forward to that one, but that'll be coming up uh, uh, a little bit later this month. That'll be on. Okay.
0: I'll definitely check that out. That sounds incredibly fascinating. <laughs> yeah. All right. One more question, then we're out of here. You got another one on there? Oh, oh. I've been scrolling and...
3: I'm trying to make sure that I get a defensive one. Okay. I don't see one. Do you? Do you I got one other? from oh. at Tommy A. McTint, who says, is Broderick Washington worthy of more playing time? And he also has the question, are McPhee and B-Will done in Baltimore? I assume he means after this year, because B-Will still playing and is very important for this year. Yeah, and, and Harbaugh said McPhee
0: has a shot to come back. I think he said he was close um, mm-hmm. going into this uh, game week against the Browns, so he might even be back too. Um, the Roderick Washington thing, I mean, I think he's been really uh, solid the last couple of weeks. Obviously, in that first Browns game, he was, he was a contributor there in, in helping them to really shut down their run game. And then again this week, um, Steelers game, I, I don't know if I kind of came away with the same feeling about it. Not that it was bad, but just I don't, I don't know if I kind of had the same feeling about it as I did um, out of both of the Browns games. But, I mean, they need it right now. I mean, Calais Campbell, we don't know. Um, you know, what that injury is going to be like and if it's going to linger or if it's more serious. So um, if he's deserving, you know, maybe less so deserving, he's going to get the blame time right. because I need him right now.
3: Yeah. So I think for for one of the things about Broderick Washington's play is I thought this might be his last year as a Raven coming into this year because there's a whole lot of risks associated with being around. We saw it didn't work out for Mac, and it hasn't worked out for some other interior guys, even even early on, if they don't really show anything and they can't get on the field and play some snaps. Well, he's done that now. I think what he's done with his play the last couple of years is secured his 2022 spot because of the incredible attrition the Ravens will have, naturally. They have to move money from defense to offense. There's two guys who naturally comes from, Campbell and and Brandon Williams. Could they re-sign one of them? Sure. Now appears Derek Wolf is you know I would put him as less than a fifty percent chance to return. So uh, you know where are we? All of a sudden we're we're replacing three monsters. You got to start with bodies, and then yep. you got to you got to hopefully Matabike will flourish and they'll have a draft pick or two. I mean, it, it's going to be a combination of things they have to do to to, to refill all the holes in the ship right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I, I I think you look at the last couple of games. Based on that, you probably say, yeah, you know, maybe he's earned a little bit more. I mean, like you've mentioned with, with Christian Welch, I mean, you mm-hmm. probably did some things in practice. Uh, I think that's where it always starts, uh, where guys, you know, earn, you know, some of those game opportunities and you've seen him in the games. And, you know, yeah, I, I think if you're just looking for like jump off the screen, blow your mind highlights, you don't necessarily see that um from Welch where you might, you know, you, you might have an opportunity to see it a little bit more at the linebacker position, but particularly for Broderick Washington and what where he plays and what he's asked to do a lot of times, you gotta really kind of hone in on yeah, that. It's not sexy. <laughs> yeah. And and pay attention to what he's being asked to do before you can evaluate it and say, okay, this is good or this is bad. Um so based on what he's been asked to do, and particularly what he's done in the run game, that's where I'd say, yeah, you know, maybe he's earned a few more snaps there because I think he's been pretty solid there. But there are still times where I see him, you know, really struggle with like a double team and kind of get washed out of there pretty bad. And sometimes even on some one-on-one blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's still up and down a little bit, I think, if you're being, you know, if you're trying to be really fair about it.
3: Right. There's, there's a lot of players who don't really fit an NFL scheme. And and one of the problems is if, if your only position is three tech in the NFL, there's a whole lot of guys who do that well coming out of college. If you're a nose tackle, all, you know, teams need multiple noses. You really got to have two noses. At least you can rotate. And the Ravens are in a position where they're probably looking for two noses next year. And, you know, maybe one of them is Ellis. Maybe one of them even is Williams coming back on a one-year deal. But they're looking for two noses, and they'll look at the college level to find, you know, that next guy. Uh, I don't think Broderick Washington is that guy. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll play undersized nose in this league. So, right now, he's, he's a backup to Matabike as a three-tech at, at, at this level, which is it's a difficult place to start. No. Yeah, I agree. All right. All right. Michael, just an absolute pleasure to talk an hour of football with you. I I, I I can't even tell you how much I like this. I'm sure this is apparent to people who are listening to this. If it's not, let us know that it's clear that Michael and I hate each other for some reason. <laughs> really, I, I, there's nobody I love talking football with you more than Michael. And, and uh, great to have the opportunity. And I hope we uh, we can have you back on more frequently during this offseason. Maybe if, if there's less charting responsibilities, other things going on.
0: Yeah, I'd I like to do that. And it is always fun. I really enjoy the, the conversation. And I, I look, you know, you can look on the screen and you can see the recording time, but it never feels like an hour.
3: No, it doesn't. It does not You yeah. know, we're up at an hour and 20 and commercials are going to go in and people are going to start complaining about it being too long anyway. <laughs> well, they've um, only got to, you know, listen to me like once every two years. So that's, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a, there's a, there's like a 1.3 button now on a lot of podcast apps that allows you to listen fast. And we got one guy that listens at 1.3 all the time. So Anyway, we got that yeah, going yeah. for us. I I want to make sure you get in all your appropriate plugs here. So what are you working on, Michael?
0: Oh, okay. So, yeah, just just kind of those those YouTube shows and we also do the audio version. It's basically it's the same show. It's just an audio version. So, it's uh Deep Cover Podcast. You can, you know, search that on YouTube or just Google it and you'll get there. Um any of your podcast platforms. The Fire Zone show, same thing. And Two Guys Watching Football, same thing. And then of course, uh at Abukari on Twitter, uh, A-B-U-K-A-R-I. Don't post as many film clips and do as much of that stuff as I used to. It's kind of hard to find the time to do it, but, you know, still try to interact with people and uh, just engage in the discussion as much as I can. So uh, I'm out there. I'm still hanging around out there on Twitter.
3: All right. Uh, Other things going on the Situation Room, give that a chance on uh, filmstudybaltimore.com. Take that a listen. It's also on podcast apps, of course. Uh, We have... uh, more 25 years episodes uh, to be done maybe two or three more if there's enough interest and i keep getting a trickle of ideas like about two per week uh if there's enough interest we'll keep going into january on this but we're almost done filling out that december schedule so i'd encourage you get your idea quickly deep deep idea that sorry a narrow idea that we can go deeply in 20 minutes that's the goal of the the thing so please no mount rushmore stuff i know people have heard me say that by now michael thanks again so much for coming on
0: hey thank you It's great being here. I appreciate it. I feel like I should be
3: the only one saying thank you. (laughs) All right. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
1: This is the story of the one.